You only have one life to live, so get the most out of it. On Good Life, Great Life, join me, Brian Highfield, and my guests as we share success stories, habits, mindsets, and lessons learned by successful people. These lessons are not taught in schools, but are critical for getting ahead in life. Whether you want a successful business or career, optimal health, or a lifestyle that most people just dream of, Good Life, Great Life has you covered. After retiring from a successful corporate career in my 40s, I founded multi-million dollar businesses in the sports and healthcare arenas. Now, I help everyday people maximize their lives and speak regularly at seminars, on podcasts, and radio shows to share principles on the topics of health, wealth, and happiness. Don't let a good life get in the way of a great life. Join me today on Good Life, Great Life. Well, welcome to another another episode of Good Life, Great Life. Today we have with us Dr. John Demartini. Dr. John Demartini, he is a world-renowned human behavior expert and has over four decades of research under his belt. And his mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become the master of your life and your own destiny. Welcome to the program, Dr. Demartini. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, yeah, it's so actually five decades now. As of uh, two weeks ago, it's now over the five decades. Oh, my so gosh. We, so old. we've had a milestone. <laughs> yeah, we've got another decade on there. So Awesome. So, there we'll, this, so this episode, we'll have some extra knowledge for everybody, right? We have another decade's worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to get to know you a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about your background and what inspired you to do what you do today. Well, I started out with a challenge in learning. And I had a speech impediment, had a deformed arm and leg, had to wear braces. When I finally got to elementary school, my teacher in front of my parents said, I'm afraid your son's not going to be able to read, not be able to write properly, probably won't go very far in life, a mountain thing. And, um, you know, he won't be able to communicate effectively. Mm. And I did have speech problems. I mean, I started going to speech pathologist at a year and a half old. So I had a bit of a void there. And I ended up dropping out of school when I was 13 because I just wasn't cutting it in school. And I was good in sports, particularly surfing. Hmm. But Texas wasn't the surf capital. <laughs> so I at, at 14, I well, 13, I lived at the beaches in Texas. 14, I hitchhiked to California and down into Mexico, Central America. At 15, I made my way over to Hawaii. And I lived on the North Shore, first under a bridge, then in a park bench, then in a bathroom, then an abandoned car. You know, I was social climbing. I nearly died at 17 because I, I got pretty good at surfing, got in some surf magazines and movies and stuff. But I nearly died at 17. And in the recovery of that, I was led to a health food store to get nutrition in me and onto a yoga class where Paul C. Bragg was speaking. And this man, one night and one hour, inspired me to believe that I could overcome my learning challenges and someday become intelligent, learn how to read. So I didn't read a book until I was 18. Hmm. When I tried to go through the reading process and tried to go back to school, I guessed and somehow miraculously passed some preliminary test like GED test but when I tried to go to college I failed I got a 27 instead of 72 
and I almost gave up and thought this isn't going to work. And my mom said to me one, one afternoon when she saw me crying in the living room floor, said, son, whether you become a great teacher and travel the world like you dream, or you go back to riding big waves in Hawaii, or you go onto the streets and panhandle again, I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what you do. Hmm. When she said that, my hand went into a fist. And I saw a vision that I saw the night I met Paul Bragg and me speaking in front of a large group of people. And I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and learning. I'm going to master this thing called speaking and teaching. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. And I'm not going to let anybody on the face of the earth stop me, not even myself. So I uh, hugged my mom. I went into my room. I got a dictionary out and I started memorizing 30 words a day and pronouncing them and spelling them properly. With the help of my mom, my vocabulary grew 20,000 words in two years. Wow. And now I'm starting to pass school and excel. And I just wanted to learn to read. So I devoured everything I could get my hands on encyclopedias. I read eight complete sets of encyclopedias, lots of dictionaries, and any book that was available. In fact, my my 19th birthday, I, my mom said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth by the greatest writers have ever lived on this planet. He says, you sure you don't want a t-shirt? <laughs> I said, no, I want the greatest writings by the greatest minds who ever lived. So she contacted her, her brother, my uncle Ralph. And he was a professor at MIT and a chemist and physicist. And he sent two giant six by six by six foot wooden crates to our house filled with thousands of books and every imaginable discipline hmm. as a gift. It would encourage me to read. So my journey started there. Wow. And I through my vocabulary, read and read and read. Now I've read over 3,700 books. I've gotten to speak in 186 countries now. I've reached billions of people with radio, television, newspapers, magazines, movies, everything. And I have a very strong vocabulary and I can communicate today. And I'm financially independent multiple times over. So the very thing I was told in first grade I would never do became the thing that I end up skillfully pursuing so i tell people it doesn't matter where you've been doesn't matter what you've gone through what you're going through what matters is do you have a dream and are you willing to do whatever is highest in priority to get that dream come true and in my case i built you know incremental momentum just by building and doing it every single day i've never stopped i've been doing it seven days a week for 50 years wow well, that's it's, it's... my background yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. And it's just a, a few words of inspiration from some key people in your life. And we all, all don't have a, an Uncle Ralph, but that was a great gift to, to give you those books. And I love what your mother said to you, you know, that the cho choice is yours and, and it doesn't matter what, what you choose. And, uh, uh, and, and just to be, to be inspired to go from being told that you amount to nothing to to being where where you are today and just helping millions of people all around all around the world like you said and being paid you know well to do that and being successful in your own right by helping other people be successful i mean that's just i mean that that's just a a, a dream i got goosebumps just saying that well 
Zig Ziglar, when I was 20 years old, I listened to a Zig Ziglar talk. And he said, if you help enough other people get where they want to get in life, you get where you want to get in life. So I started metricing how many people I wanted to touch the lives of. And um, I've kept metrics. I'm probably the most metriced individual you've ever met. <laughs> I keep metrics of every radio show, every newspaper, every podcast, every every magazine, every news newspaper, every movie, everything. I keep record of it to see if I'm actually accomplishing what I set out to do. And I'm a firm believer that if you have an astronomical vision, the world is yours. The magnitude of space and time in your innermost dominant thought will determine the level of conscious evolution you've attained. It was Seneca who said, you measure an individual by their most distant ends. How big a vision do they have? Is it just immediate gratifying and amygdala-based, or is it executive-centered and it's a long-term vision like going to Mars with Elon Musk? You know, how big a vision do you have? The greater your vision and the more the challenge that inspires you to want to solve, the greater your life. Leaders pursue challenges that inspire them. Followers try to avoid challenges that despire them. That's the difference. And, and talk about inspiration a little bit. I mean, how, how can people, because a lot of people, I think they're looking for inspiration to do something big with their life, to to cast that vision and and to really get to a point where they 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 serve a purpose and and, and their life's purpose that's what they're that's what they're seeking i mean how do people sort that out well i started working on that 50 years ago <laughs> and i figured what what what's the source of that so i'll i'll just summarize it here every human being no matter what their age or gender or spectrum of gender uh, or culture lives moment by moment by a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. And these set of values filter how they perceive the world, how they decide to act in the world and what they act on. So you tell me what the hierarchy of your values are and I'll tell you where your destiny is. Because whatever is highest on your value is where you're going to go after. That's where you're going to excel. Now, as Aristotle said in his times, the very highest value, the telos, as he called it, the end in mind, is the teleological purpose. It's the most meaningful and purposeful thing we can pursue. It is also the ontological identity. Our identity revolves around what we value most. My highest value is teaching, so I'm a teacher. If my highest value was cooking, I'd be a cook. And our epistemological pursuit of gaining excellence in academic knowledge is excelled in the area of our highest value. That's where we're going to absorb information most. We have attention surplus order and a selected biased attention for anything that's high in our values. So identifying what's high in our values on my website, drdmartin.com, complimentary for years, there's a free value determination process for people to do. Millions of people have used it. You know, governments, corporates, you name it. But I encourage people to do it. It's a it's a great gift because if you take the time to go through it and answer it as honestly as you can and do it again and answer it even more honestly, because most of the time you lie. <laughs> you know, you let your mothers and fathers and preachers and teachers and mores and traditions and conventions influence and cloud the clarity of what you really are called to do on the planet. But once you identify what that is and it's really inspiring, whatever's highest on your value, you are spontaneously inspired to act on. I'm spontaneously inspired to teach. Nobody has to, if you can find, I tell people, if you can find anybody that's had to motivate me to speak in the last 50 years, you got a free seminars, but you won't find it. I don't need motivation. Motivation is a symptom, never a solution for excelling. It's a symptom that you're not doing something that's meaningful and truly inspiring. 
So finding out what that highest value is and structuring your life by asking the question, what is the highest priority action I can do to fulfill this highest priority on a daily basis? And how can I surround myself with people that I can delegate lower priority things to so I can get on with doing what I feel called to do? Accelerates the vitality in your life, the vision in your life. Whenever you are living by your highest value, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, activates the executive center, the medial prefrontal cortex. And that is connected to the V5, V6 areas of the occipital cortex where we see vision. So those were the vision flourish. But when we're in our amygdala and we're doing lower priority things and we're into survival, we can't see the vision. We've lost our vision. And people who are just subordinating to outer authorities and trying to be somebody they're not and envying and imitating other people and not being true to themselves and, and uh, not being authentic and integral to what is truly meaningful and giving themselves permission to pursue it and delegate all the rest, they're going to automatically slide in self-worth. They're going to diminish their energies. They're going to be clouded in their clarity. They're not going to know what their purpose is. And you ask people, they go, I don't know what my purpose is. It's because they're subordinating to outer influences. But people who are really clear about what their mission is, they see it in their mind's eye. I have a painting in my office that's five foot by four foot that Andrew Tischer from Melbourne, Australia painted of me standing in front of a million people speaking with every iconic building from every major city around the world in the background. And we painted that as a vision to hold. And so when you walk in, you see that it's, it's a tearjerker. Because it was what I saw when I was 17. It was an epiphany and he mm. captured it. And I believe that people who are willing to live according to what their true authentic path is, their real mission, their dharmic path, as the Buddhists say, not their karmic samsara wheel, which is a distraction of in impulses and instincts, but a real inspired mission. Those people become unstoppable. They develop incremental momentum and achievement, and they are basically leaders. And every single person has that in them. Every individual has the potential for doing that the second they get congruent. I love helping people find out how to do that. I love teaching them that science. Because the second they do, they don't need motivation. If you need motivation to do what you say is important, what you say is important is important. Motivation is a symptom. And rhetorical persuasion of rewards and punishment is the lowest banal aspect of philosophical thinking. Being inspired intrinsically from within is where it's all, that's where the power is. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in motivating people. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm an educator on how to live an inspired life and a masterful life. That's what I do. Yeah, and you really, you really help them dig down into what inspires them because it could be different for exactly. anybody. But you got to discover that, and and then you're you're self motivated at that point once you're once you're focused on what as you as you determine what what's your value, what your priorities are. Thousands of years ago, when we started to moving into sedentary lives and we started to move from a nomadic, you know, wandering life, and people started doing different specialties. I'm going to cook. You're going to build furniture, you're going to plow, you're going to do this. We became more and more dependent on other people. We weren't well-rounded and capable of doing everything and becoming, it was more efficient, but mm -hmm. we also became more dependent. And so the fear of banishment and the fear of loss and rejection by the crowd grew, grew, grew. And so people are frightened of not fitting in instead of standing out. But how are you going to actually make a difference in the world if you don't stand out? The people that fit in don't make a difference. The people that stand out do. Ernest Becker in his Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Denial of Death, addressed this. And many others have done it. Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. 
And Einstein said, my contempt for authority is what made me one. He stood up to authority. He didn't subordinate to it. But so many people are subordinating to their community, their mothers and fathers and preachers and teachers. And they're so worried about not fitting in that they lie to themselves about what's important to them. And they don't access the real driving force that really spontaneously inspires their life. Yeah. And I do what I can to get them past that. And I'm pretty good at it. I've been doing it a long number of years. <laughs> no, and it's, it's, it's wonderful because, you know, I meet people all the time. I just met, you know, a dad on the playground with my, with my son the other day. And within 30 seconds of conversation, he was telling me how hard his life is, you know, that he's working so many hours at a job that he doesn't love. His, his wife is in a similar situation, but they're doing what they can to, to support the life. But, and, and, uh, you know, so we we're talking like, what, what can he do to figure out to really get a more meaningful life and provide for his family in a more abundant way. What what are yeah, your suggestions well, so, there as far as terming those values and and what where where can he go? The first thing to do is to make a list of everything you do in a day. Everything you do in a day, and make an exhaustive list of everything you do in a day. Now that day may be one of, you know, three or four months worth of things you do. So put everything you might do during a three month period into that that list. And as you do, your your intuitive self is going to look at that and goes, no wonder I'm not inspired. I'm doing low priority things. I'm not doing the highest priority thing. I'm majoring in minors. I'm minoring in majors. And I'm doing what I think it should be instead of what is really priority. That's the first realization. Mm -hmm. Once you've made a list of all of those, and that's personal and professional, the second column on a sixth column form is how much does it produce per hour? Because if you're actually doing something that serves another human being, they're willing to pay for what you're doing. And if you're not doing something that's a value, then you're devaluing yourself. And all day long, you devalue yourself. You're not going to be inspired. So you want to go in through and look at what exactly is producing per hour. Now, when I did that, I realized that even though I went to 10 years of college to be involved in healthcare also, that me speaking was way more productive than me sitting there in a cubicle. And I realized that that was actually going backwards. I could generate about $1,500 an hour in a cubicle. I could generate $20,000 in an hour doing speaking. So I, I eventually realized that it was time for me to delegate those cubicles. And so I hired a bunch of doctors to do that. And I trained them and went out and spoke and generated new clients and did what was most effective. So look at what it produces per hour and be honest with yourself. And then give yourself permission to go after the thing that produces the most and delegate anything less than what you're capable of doing with your skills. Because otherwise, you're going to devalue yourself. And a lot of the reasons is because you think, well, I should have done this. I could be doing I need to do this because, well, I went to school for this. And what my mom think? What would my dad? All that crap. Mm -hmm. You have to get truthful about what you're producing. The third one is how much meaning does it have on a one to ten scale? Is it highly meaningful? Are you really inspired by it? Is it spontaneous? Is it something you can't wait to do? Because if you do, you're going to excel at it. You're going to automatically want to do it. You're not going to need to be motivated to do it. If you need motivation to do something, you're killing yourself. That's death. That shows increased cytokine and pro and anti-inflammatory responses in the brain. You don't want that. You want to do what you love on a daily basis. And if you're not delegating lower party things, not doing what produces the most and that has the most meaning, you're going to end up with health issues. Your health issues are a feedback mechanism to let you know you're being inauthentic to what's really you're capable of doing. So you go in there and identify the meaning on a one to 10 scale, and then you prioritize that. So you prioritize how much it produces per hour down to, through the list, and you prioritize how much meaning it has through the list. 
And then you look at what has the most meaning and what has the most production per hour. And then you look at that and you realize that's where I need to be focused. In the next column, I write down, what does it cost for me to delegate that? What's the cost of delegation? If I hire somebody who's absolutely higher skilled than me, more skilled than me, not less, A people, not Z people, people that are more skilled than me and are inspired to do it and have that job higher on their values than you. So they can't wait to get up in the morning and do that. So you're liberated and don't have to micromanage it. And you can say goodbye to it and you can get on with doing what's really important to you. You're going to excel. And if you surround yourself with people that love doing what you want to delegate, you just liberated yourself from a lot of draining energy. In the next column, you write down how much time you're actually spending on it. How much actual time per day is this real? And on the last column, you write down what are the final prioritizations out of all the variables? The, how much it produces per hour, how much meaning it has, and how much it costs to delegate. Once you do that, you prioritize that list, and then you hire people, and you let go of stuff. And the second you do, you're going to make more income. You're going to have more energy. You're going to draw more business. You're going to end up feeling more like a professional. You're going to end up more inspired. You're going to be spontaneously wanting to go to work instead of drained. And I did that when I was 27, that very exercise at 27. And my little 970 square foot office with one assistant turned into 5,000 square foot office with five doctors and 12 staff members in 18 months. And my net income net worth or not net worth but the net income went up tenfold mm. tenfold so i was making 10 times amount and i was only doing what i love doing so if you want to sit there and argue for your limitations instead of get into action well that's your own business but if you want to get into doing something that really works that what i just gave you is a goal no and, and that's and, and that's so true because you, you got to get outside the box of the that people put on you because you think that there's these barriers that don't really exist that other people have placed them there and and so you you think they're there but you really got to look past that to in order to get to where where you want to be there are no there are no barriers except self-imposed barriers all you have to say is thank you but no thank you love it love it i, I wish we had more time I, 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 it's, it, it's today, hard to cover five today, decades of of great information here and and uh, so i wish we, i wish we had more time here any final thoughts yeah, Brian, I, I I only do four things today. I teach most every day of my life. Uh -huh. I research and write. I travel the world on my ship. I live on a ship. And uh, we go all over the world. And um, I built wealth. And I help people build their wealth. And so I do what I can to help entrepreneurs live extraordinary lives. And I don't do anything else. I haven't cooked since I was 24. I haven't driven a car in 32, almost 33 years. I, I have a captain, I have a pilot, I got all the people that take care of all those things that I don't want to do. And I do what I love doing. And I didn't do it. People think, well, you got there because you're wealthy. No, I got wealthy because I did it. Awesome stuff. So how can our audience just learn more about what you do and, and learn learn more about determining what their values are? Uh, where, they can, where can they go? All they have to do is go to drdmartini.com and then type and look for determine your values. And it'll take them 30 minutes, a little survey, 30 minutes. And then do it again a week later, do it again a month later, do it again three months later, because you're going to lie to yourself the first time, because you're going to write down what you think it should be, ought to be, supposed to be, got to be, all the imperatives by all the authorities that run your life. If you're really honest, you might nail it the first time, but most people don't. And, and, I, and unless I'm right there on their shoulder, if I'm on their shoulder, I know how to get them there. But if you don't, but do it again and again, until you look at your life and you go, 
That's what my life demonstrates. Your life demonstrates your hierarchy of values. Tell me what your life demonstrates. I'll tell you what's important to you. Because every decision is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage or disadvantages at any moment in life, according to what you're perceiving in your reality. Awesome. Great stuff. We're going to have that website attached to this podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Our guest today has been Dr. John Martini. Uh, this has been wonderful, just, just knowledge base. I wrote so many notes down on this. I hope our audience was paying full attention. I hope you took notes. If you didn't, I want you to listen to this episode again. Thank you so much, Dr. Martini. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Good Life, Great Life, brought to you by Brian Highfield. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business.